Mike Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Andrew Manshell will join us to discuss learning from Brian Park. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, our appreciations for urban spaces has grown, but how much have we taken care of our public spaces and what can we learn from the revitalization of public spaces in the past? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Andrew Manshell. Mr. Manshell was the Associate Director and Counsel at the Bryant Park Restoration Corporation. Later, he became the Executive Vice President of the Greater Jamaica Development in Jamaica, Queens. Mr. Manchel blogs about downtown and public space revitalization at theplacemaster.com. And he's a longtime director and the treasurer of Project for Public Spaces. He holds a Juris Doctorate and Master of Business Administration degrees from New York University and a BA in government from Oberlin College. He has penned the new book, Learning from Bryant Park, Revitalizing Cities, Towns, and Public Spaces. And Mr. Manchel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's sort of a growing appreciation for public spaces. We sort of long for the outdoors. I'm curious why you decided to write the book and this idea of revitalizing public spaces. Well, I wrote the book because Bryant Park was such a huge success, and people have had such trouble emulating that success. The people find the ideas that drove the restoration of the park to be counterintuitive and to be unconventional. And I've had a lot of trouble persuading people about what works, and I thought by organizing my thoughts and putting them into a book, maybe it would be helpful to people who are trying to do this work to persuade people about what the best ways to do this are. And you ask how I got involved in this. Interestingly, uh, I got involved in it by doing something uh, very 20th century. Um, that is, and I, I answered a want ad in the New York Times. You know, you can, you can do Craigslist, but anybody who wants to email me, I'll explain to them what a want ad was. So for those of us not from the New York area or history of Bryant Park, maybe you could take us back, tell us about what it was, what it had gone into, and then the revitalization efforts came about. Bryant Park is a six-acre park that sits behind the New York Public Library on 42nd Street in Manhattan, right in the center of Manhattan. The parks was at the uh, beyond the outer limits of the city of New York in the first half of the 19th century. It was a parade ground. Later, a receiving reservoir for the Croton water system was built on the Fifth Avenue side of the park, and the back was used for various purposes, including an exposition in the 1860s where a, a Crystal Palace was built to emulate the Crystal Palace built in London at about the same time. And that Crystal Palace was historically interesting because it had the first elevators in America built by the Elders Elevator Company. It also burned down in a spectacular fire. At the turn of the 19th century to the 20th century, a decision was made to build the New York Public Library and to create a park behind it. The library was a phenomenal success, the park not so much. The park has been redesigned several times. In the mid-30s, after the Depression, the, the park was a Hooverville, people were living in it. A young 
Robert Moses, who had just become the commissioner of the Parks Department in New York City, had a design competition to redesign the park, which was won by a landscape architect named Lusby Simpson, who worked for the Parks Department at that time. And that is essentially the design of the park as it is today. But the park was never well maintained, it, even when it was new. It was in the shadow of the 6th Avenue elevated train. It's just a public space that never worked. And in the financial situation that happened in New York City in the 70s, it became really, really terrible. When I came to New York to go to graduate school in 1978, I was warned off Bryant Park. And the transformation took some time. I mean, it certainly wasn't overnight. And you came into the project. What was the vision and how did it evolve, change, and how did people sort of find out what would work? The project was uh, already 11 years old when I got there. In 1979, the library commissioned William H. White, the author of City and the Social Life of Small Urban Spaces, to write a study as to how to improve the park. And White wrote the study, and that was the beginning of the creation of the Bryant Park Restoration Corporation, which was incorporated about 1980. And I answered that ad in the Times in about 1991. The, the big idea from the beginning was that there would be a restaurant in the park that would throw off sufficient income to pay for the operation of the park. That turned out to be a, a sort of a good idea that took a very, very long time to execute. But in 1985, people who were the principals in promoting the restoration of the park, including Dan Biederman, who remains as the executive director of Bryant Park Restoration Corporation, started a business improvement district. It was the first non-linear business improvement district in the United States, certainly in New York. That generated about $450,000 a year, and that got the park off to a start. Uh, and in 1988, the library was looking for more space, and a brilliant real estate guy named Marshall Rose uh, realized that they could build a basement under the park and, and store books in it. And so a two-level basement building was built. The park was dug up, um, and that gave an opportunity when the hole was filled up to uh, fix some of the physical features of the park. And that was completed in 1992, and the park reopened uh, to great acclaim in 1992. Certainly that's point out, having Anchor or something as a draw, events, these types of things, that really helped to revitalize it and change its character. One of the principal lessons of the book is that operations, maintenance, and programming are really key. The physical changes are far less important. People tend to reach for big-dollar capital projects in order to improve public space, and that's really not what it takes. What it takes is operating money so that activity can be put on in the park that draws people in. Holly White, one of his maxims was that the thing that attracts people is other people. And so priming the pump, getting people into the park space is the most important thing to getting people to, to actually use the space. And also, Holly was a social scientist. And since we're talking about science here, what we do, this work is very data-driven and very observational-driven. This conventional wisdom that I mentioned to you at the beginning of our chat is not data-based. I mean, people have preconceived notions about what happens in public space that are entirely incorrect. You know, the movable chair, the green movable park chair, which has become the symbol of the park and a symbol of the way in which it was restored. When we talked about putting them out, but everyone's first reaction was, you can't do that. They're going to be stolen. Well, how did anybody know that? You know, what, what 
on what set of facts, on what data did they base that? Did they sit around the way Holly did and take time-lapse photography of how people used public space and whether or not people walked off with the chairs? No, they just assumed that if the chair wasn't tied down, it was going to get stolen, which happened to be incorrect. You've seen this from several angles. How broadly do you think good data-driven approaches are being implemented? Planning conjures up Ed Logue, Ed Bacon, Robert Moses, the kind of top-down grand designers uh, who, who you know, wanted to do big capital projects. This is not about planning. This is about close observation of how people actually behave in public spaces, managing them better, uh, picking up the trash, having beautiful horticulture, having the space be well-maintained, having something going on all the time, whether it's concerts that have been organized or just chess or rolling trolley with books on it or the selling of food. Um, Those aren't planning. But one of the other principal lessons of the book is that these ideas are entirely transferable from place to place. They, They have to be adapted in different places. People react to them in different ways. When we did the movies in Bryant Park and that started about 1994, you know, everybody said, oh, no, no, you can do that in other places, but you can't do that in New York City. No one's going to come to 42nd Street at night to watch a movie. And now it happens everywhere. Good point. I mean, so, you know, New York City is a very different place than here in Baton Rouge. Fundamental ideas of finding spaces where people can gather and participate, that's more of the driving force. People like to be where other people are. People like to eat and drink. Those are kind of the basics. And they like to sit. You know, in a lot of places, people don't sit, as Holly pointed out, because there were no chairs. So putting out, and, and you know, today, when you put out a chair or a bench, everybody says, oh, the homeless are going to uh, take that over. Well, how do you know that? This is not expensive. The key things that are easy to do include movable chairs and tables, um, the sale of food and drink. It doesn't have to be on a large scale, on a small scale, and great horticulture, taking care of plants, taking care of the lawn, picking up the trash. Those are the elements to a, a, a good, solid public space that people will want to use. Very simple, so rarely done well. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not even about well. People say, you know, I can't do a garden in my, in my downtown park in Baton Rouge. People are going to steal the plants or people are going to trash the park. Well, you know, that just doesn't happen. It only happens, if, you know, there's the broken windows theory, which has been unfortunately distorted and, and criticized on, on which we based our work. But if you keep the gardens up, if you pick up the trash, they don't spiral down, they spiral up. We were talking with Andrew M. Manchel. He's written the new book, Learning from Bryant Park, Revitalizing Cities, Towns, and Public Spaces. Mr. Manchel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.